0: And welcome to another episode of Tarvalon Talks. I'm your host, Thad, and today I'm joined by Finya and Ferry. Today we're going to be talking about The Wheel of Time, Episode 3 specifically. So we won't get too terribly into spoilers. We'll kind of hold all of that until the end. So we're just going to take a rough go at Episode 3 and discuss in length the things that happen within. So welcome to the podcast.
1: Hello. Hello. So do we all remember where we left off at the end of Episode 2?
0: So at the end of episode two, we have Lan taking care of Moraine in the forest when she has basically succumbed to her wound from the attack at the Two Rivers. And the episode ends on Nynaeve with a knife at his throat saying, take me to my friends, basically. And that's where it ended. And that's where we pick up.
1: Straight into Nynaeve's cold open.
2: Yes, I really love this cold open. I like how it gives us a sense of Nynaeve as someone who is capable and you get a little bit of that fighter aspect of her, which I feel is more evident in the later books than it is in the beginning where she's mostly just tugging on her braid a lot.
0: And being angry.
2: And being angry, yeah.
0: Now we get to see that anger in action.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. But I, I really like that it's a little bit more of a balanced view and you feel like her anger is kind of justified. I mean, obviously in this case, it's very justified because she's being taken away by Trollocs and they're trying to eat her and all of her friends are in unknown places at this point for her. But this is like one of the cold opens that I really enjoy.
1: Yep. I think my favorite part about it was whenever she's being traced into that cave with the pool of water by the Trolloc and you know, as creepy as it is being attacked by a Trolloc and being hunted down by a Trolloc, I think what was even creepier is when the Trolloc is in the water and her head just pops up ever so slowly. And she starts to reach for the Trolloc's knife. I was like, man, she has her own creep going on. That was pretty, pretty awesome.
0: She knows what she's doing for sure.
2: She's very capable. One of the things I also like about it, and this is a really small thing, but in the beginning, when the Trolloc like, drops her to go check on the the other Trolloc, and you kind of feel like it's going to be some kind of like camaraderie thing between the two of two Trollocs and then he just starts eating them and it's we get full on like Trolloc cannibalism and I think it's great because that's such a nice little touch about how the Trollocs behave in this world and what their character is like and how they're all in it for themselves and you know these are super bad things which you could tell before but it's just this one little extra hint of that it's
0: all about me
2: Yes. There
1: is no compassion. There is no humanity whatsoever in these creatures. You're right. That
0: really just drives that point home.
1: Did you guys notice the thing after Nynaeve kills the Trolloc in the pool of water? yes
0: did you not read my notes
1: i read your notes
0: (laughs) (laughs) well specifically mentions that
2: i did too yes (laughs) not in the notes that i gave you but in the notes because i condensed my notes a little bit into something more coherent but in the notes that i took i did comment on that which is just such a subtle little world building piece
0: it's very nice
1: right so question Do you guys feel like this was a spoiler or not
2: i don't think so
0: no i wouldn't say so
1: okay
2: so in the pool
1: after Nynaeve fills the Trolloc, you can see the blood coming up through the water and it makes the dragon's fang in the water. So it would be the male half of the one power. It's referred to as the dragon's fang, but it makes that in the water. And so that was just kind of one of those Easter eggs, that a little nod. It was pretty obvious. So I'm sure even people who haven't read the books before kind of saw the shape in the water and they're kind of like, what?
0: They focused on it a little too much to be like, what, you know, this has significance, but what is It's like, you know, at the beginning of Game of Thrones, they lay out all those bodies and you're just like, what does this mean? But then it never gets answered.
1: Yeah, hopefully they answer it later on in the show Not in season one, because, you know, that's already dead and gone, but just at some point in time, like if somebody scrawls it on a door somewhere or they throw back to it somehow.
2: Don't we get, and I don't want to do spoilers for later on in the show, but we see a dragon's fang elsewhere and there's kind of an explanation of this is a sign that people think that bad stuff is happening in this house.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah, because they placed it there somewhere else instead of in the two rivers where it originally happened.
1: Okay, and clearly I need to go back and rewatch some more episodes. It's It's been a hot minute. So the last thing I did want to point out, my favorite part about the cold open is one of the very cool things about Nynaeve's character and how she's dressed and how they style her are her braids. Because it's not just one braid that she's tugging on. It's all of those braids. And whenever she pops up out of the water, she takes those braids and she tosses them back and they like whip back behind her.
2: Such an... Awesome scene. I love that bit.
1: Yeah, it was very chef's kiss for me. Yes. Absolutely. It's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: I think that's been gift a lot. And that's a gift that I quite like, quite like using. Oh, I'm gonna have
1: to find that one. It's
2: just so cool. <laughs> yeah.
1: So Faniel, one of the things that you mentioned that you had wanted to discuss was Matt and the changes that they made to his backstory in the show versus his backstory in the books.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure how much this has been talked about in the discussion of the first two episodes.
0: Very little. I don't think we really touched on it at all.
2: Yeah, but I bring it up because I was on another podcast talking about Wheel of Time back when the show first aired. And one of the people on that panel really didn't like the changes that they had made to Matt with his kind of darker backstory.
0: Oh, they did him dirty in the show. They did him so dirty.
1: Compared to the books, definitely.
2: I really disagree with that, actually. I mean, it's a big change, right? Having this backstory where now his dad is a horrible person and his mother is kind of a horrible person, too, and he's caring for his sisters. But I think that it makes for a much more compelling character to have this little touch of darkness. And it makes so much more sense for him to be interested in shiny things. Like, in the books, he's this happy-go-lucky character who steals the dagger just for shits and giggles. And it feels like there's no motivation there beyond, yeah, it's shiny. What makes me think of this is his scenes with the Aiel and how he's looking for money to get back to his sisters. For me, it makes him so much more compelling because I care about why he is looking to gamble and make money and increases wealth. Like it just it makes so much more sense to me than yeah, I'm just a happy go-lucky gambler. I could see that.
0: i uh, I fully disagree with all of that personally, because they turn him from this impish trickster into this kind of wanton scoundrel with the change of his backstory from his dad was a wealthy horse trader and because of that he was never really brought up and he he's kind of he's bigger than his britches basically in, in the books compared to the TV show. And He's never seen life outside the True Rivers, so once he gets outside and this whole new world opens up to him, he's at first very much kind of like, take everything as he can.
2: See, I feel like that is what Jordan was trying to do, but did not successfully do at all in the books.
1: Or maybe is it that it's something that is just honestly just not easy to convert to TV?
0: I think he would be a more annoying character in a TV adaptation with that kind of nature, to be honest.
1: That I will agree with. I am not a Matt fan. I find Matt annoying through all 14 books. So if they tried to do that in the show, he would be equally as annoying, if not more so.
2: I think that's also part of why I like the changes that they made, because I don't like Matt in the books either. At least in the very beginning, where his character seems really shallow. And here, at least, he's got some depth to it. It's a change. I can understand not liking the changes. But for me personally, it works a lot better than Matt in the first three or four books does.
0: Yeah, with them being aged up and everything, it does. Because in the books, they're a few years younger, so a little bit more immature. Basically, by the time they get to Shatter Logoth and he takes the knife and everything, he starts getting slapped around by life a little bit and kind of goes on a downhill tumble until events in the book force him to kind of change his worldview, to say the least.
1: Yeah, and I think for some people, kind of like what you were saying, that is they really like the happiness, the, the levity of the mat in the book versus the not so light version of Matt in the show. Carrying around a live badger in a bag is a lot funnier than stealing to earn money to take
0: care of your sisters.
1: So some people prefer a little bit more levity out of their Matt than what they're finding in the show. So I can definitely see
0: that. It's not a bad change. It's just not the change I wanted.
2: Yeah. And even though we do still get some humor with Matt, it is Much darker in tone, I think, than the snark that we get from him in the books.
0: Oh, absolutely.
1: Although, you know, at the beginning of episode three, he's a little bit lighter. There's a little bit more banter between him and Rand when they're traversing through the mountains and even right when they get to Brain Springs. But I think it's at Brain Springs, Brain Springs, that they start to, that's where he starts to change. I guess where the... Well, no, I guess that would be construed as a spoiler. So when he starts to experience the change, right? (laughs) Um, Because that's when he starts to get a little bit more sour, a little bit more snippy with everybody, not just Rand.
2: I think that that's actually there in the books, too, because he still has that outside influence, which is causing him to be a little snippier with everyone, which also frustrated me in the books because it just went on for so long. And we don't focus on that quite as much in the show. And it it also is not as drastic a change in the show, which I think makes it a little more palatable for me personally. I've said before in some previous episode of Trouble Talks that Matt was the reason why I stopped reading the books initially. Oh, no. Yeah, because I just could not stand his character. I picked up the books again, obviously, but it took me like a decade. Maybe it makes sense that I like the changes they've made to the show's Matt when put in context like that.
0: That makes sense. You like them dark and brooding.
2: Yes. (laughs) Noted. Gotcha. (laughs) I just like them to be a little less stupid. <laughs> Matt is stupid.
0: Well, I mean, you got to remember in the book, they're just kids. <laughs> yes.
1: I yeah, mean, I think you and I could do an entire show just hating on Matt. I don't think anybody would watch it,
0: but.
2: <laughs> no. I think you would have
0: some fans.
2: You think so? I feel bad because I don't hate Matt later on in the books. I just really dislike early Matt. I mean, he's never going to be my favorite character, but boy, the beginning of the books. I just, I'll, I'll stop. Complaining about
0: them <laughs> yeah. now. So yeah, the boys get to Breen Springs after um, following the river basically east. And Breen Springs basically from the books replaces four kings. Well, it kind of conglomerates uh, like a few scenes together. But the biggest change is that we don't see Whitebridge in the show because Whitebridge basically happens in this episode and the next episode. The events of it are spread out over these two episodes. But in this episode, they go to the inn and Breen's spring and they meet a new character, Dana. Fun fact, the name of the inn at Brains Springs is called Four Kings. So that should give you the indicator of this replaces that.
1: You might have pointed this out before in a previous episode, that but they have the four carvings, the four wood carvings, right? Like right outside the end of the four kings. Yeah. I don't know that they look exactly like kings, but if you had read the books and you would have known, oh, those are probably kings.
0: Yeah, because when I initially saw it, I didn't think anything about it. And then the episode finished and I go, oh, was that supposed to be this? And I was right because I looked in the extras and all that kind of stuff because I don't think they ever specifically say the name of the inn in the episode itself. It's given in kind of some of the behind the scenes stuff.
1: I did listen specifically to see if they mentioned the name of it because I also had the subtitles on and it never actually mentions the name of the N in the episode. I had remembered seeing those four carvings when I watched through it the first time. So I specifically watched for them again this time. But it is in the end that we are first introduced to Tom Maryland. Now, I don't think he mentions his full name until later in the episode, but this is the first time that we see Tom.
0: He's just the Glee man at this point.
1: Yes, he's just known as the Glee man. What were your guys' initial thoughts? Or even on the rewatch, like what are your thoughts on show Tom versus
0: book Tom? He's not as flashy as he is in the books, but given the overall tonal shift of the TV show, it's fine.
2: I still kind of think that he's a cut rate Aragorn in the <laughs> show. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> yeah. It does come a kind of across like that. Doesn't it?
2: Yeah. Which I mean, I'm reserving judgment because we don't actually see him for very much in the TV show. And I hope that they develop him a little more, but just the look of him visually really reminded me of Aragorn, like the gravelly singing voice. It all just felt very reminiscent, maybe intentionally so, given that Robert Jordan was heavily inspired by Lord of the Rings. Like if that was intentional, I would like it a little bit more, I think. But he was very different from my image of him from reading the books.
1: I would definitely agree with that. I think, and now that you mentioned Fenya Aragorn, it's almost like he's a mixture of a ranger and a bard in the show. Like, a mixture of both. But I think I agree with you, Thad. He's definitely not as flashy, but I'll be honest, guys. I don't know that I like him yet. Like, when I was reading through the books, I liked him immediately.
0: I haven't made a decision on it yet, to be personally honest, because, like Fenya said, we've only seen him for... Half of an episode for two episodes, if that. And we don't see him again, I think, for the rest of the season. And then they even said in season two, he's not going to be there because he wasn't in those events of the book.
1: Which makes sense. I hope they bring him back.
0: No, no, he's going to come back.
1: Like the same actor?
0: He's going to come back. It's just that he won't be in season two because of the events of the story don't include Tom in that portion.
2: In that regard, I'm glad that they're not bringing him back for season two.
0: And not just shoehorning him in. Yeah. It's probably for the best. <laughs> yep.
1: Yep. That makes
2: sense. Yeah, I, I think that that was the right decision, even though it means that we're not going to be able to clarify our thoughts on him for quite some time.
1: So the interaction then with him and Matt, both in the Four Kings, and then with the caged Aiel man. What do you guys think about? how does that jive with Tom's personality in the books then? And the reason why I bring that up is I think that's the only thing for me that really tied Tom in the show with Tom in the books. I mean, aside from the whole singing thing, which is, in the grand scheme of things, pretty minor. But what Tom was really showing, I think, with the IEL and with Matt is his compassion, but also his knowledge of the world. And I think that's really the first, not the biggest introduction, because we get a little bit more of an introduction in episode four. But Tom is not your average gleeman. And that's the impression that I got from that whole interaction with them.
2: I liked the scene with Matt. And Tom and the Aeol But I'm going to be honest, when we first see them interact in the inn, I didn't remember Tom being such an asshole. Like, Tom's a real jerk to begin with. And that, too, is something that really threw me off.
0: Yeah, he was kind of a dick. Book Tom wouldn't have done that. He wouldn't have stolen from them. That's
2: right.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Book Tom was not quite so so rude. Book Tom wouldn't do you dirty like that.
2: Mm Mm-mm. Yeah. So I was glad to see him soften a little bit in that later scene with the Aeolmen, because if he had just stayed as that brusque, rude, I'm just going to steal from you and who gives a shit, that would have been too much of a departure from the Tom that I thought I knew. And I would have been unhappy with it.
0: You know what it kind of makes me think? You know, this might just be kind of a, it's just in my head What That's the word, headcanon, but But Taviran pull on Tom to the boys and he doesn't quite understand what it is yet. Do you think he does though? Probably not. You know, a Tavirian Pole, you don't get why you're there, but you're there. And I guess that could have been him being a dick to them. He's just like, why am I here messing with these boys? And then, you know, he sees Matt later outside at the uh, Dead Eye Eels cage. Could be something like that, or I'm just thinking too much on it.
1: No, I think that follows. I think that follows because then later on when he comes to the boys' rescue. so. Back up while Matt and Tom are paying their respects to the Ioman in the cage. Rand is in the cabin room with Dana, the barmaid, exchanging stories. Dana tries to kiss Rand. Then she stands up and she goes to the door and she shuts the door and she makes this really creepy reference to Egwene's braid. And that triggers Rand, right? Fighting ensues and then Rand tries to break down the door. I'm trying to remember is this the first instance that Rand has? shown the ability to channel because he channeled to get out that door right
0: in the show yes so this is basically the lightning scene from chapter 34 of eye of the world my favorite scene in probably the whole series but yeah this is basically that instead of the innkeeper trapping and we've got the dark friend that's hunting them down they combined the innkeeper and the dark friend into the same person traps him in the room and it's just like i'm just waiting for matt to get here if you would have just played along, this would have been easier kind of thing. And, you know, he channels the door down instead of channeling lightning to shatter the side of the building and run off into the night. Yep.
1: So he runs off. Matt is there suddenly. <laughs> they start running through the village.
0: Yeah. Well, remember, they did the thing with the IEL. They buried him. And as Matt's going back, Rand comes running out and they run into each other. And he's just like, quick, this way.
1: Yeah. And so they have a little bit of dialogue in a back alley. And I think Dana revealed some things that are introduced in the show for the first time that I think was kind of interesting in how they did that. And that she says that she sees all five of them in her dreams, but only one of them can be the dragon. And so up until this point in the show, we know of Matt, Rand, Perrin, and Egwene were originally identified as potential dragon. Nynaeve's there, but I don't think that up until this point, any hints have been dropped about her potentially being a dragon. So I think this is the first time that a line can be drawn between there.
2: Do you think that that's referring to Nynaeve as the potential fifth?
0: It's either that or Loghain.
2: Yeah, I would have thought Loghain more because he has declared himself to be the dragon, although we don't see that. I mean, we'll get into that more in So, and that's why
1: I thought it would be naive more so than Loghain, because up until this point in the show, we haven't seen or heard of Logan. His introduction is at the very end of this episode. So after all of this goes down in Breen Springs is when we see him for the first time and then we see who he is and what he's about in that cold open in episode four. And so that's how I drew that line between naive and what Dana is referring to. But then I believe too, this is the first time that anybody mentions Ishmael.
0: Yeah. By name. That was the first time.
1: Yep, And then what was really interesting here, too, is that she mentions that the Dark One wants them, the dragon, to save everyone and that the Aes Sedai instead want to kill the dragon and his friends. But what she also mentions is that the dragon can break the wheel and end all of the bad stuff that's going on in their world.
0: That could be operating on false info.
1: Could be. But I think this is also a theme, a little bit of foreshadowing of what could come in, not just in the later books, but also in episode four, because it's something that Loghain alludes to in his cold open in the next
2: episode. I didn't necessarily think that it was foreshadowing, although you're right, it could be. But what I got from that bit of that scene more was an explanation of why a regular person might follow the Dark One. Like what drives... Someone who is otherwise not necessarily a bad person, because from what we've seen of Dana, she's not you know inherently evil, necessarily, she just wants to get out of this podunk town that she's stuck in, so what drives someone to the dark one, and that I think makes for a very compelling explanation of why we might see people follow someone that from all accounts is like you know the the big bad in the theology and and in all of the lore and history of this world
1: that's a really good point
0: yeah that was going to bring that up but you beat me to it
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh the thing
1: that you mentioned earlier that about um tom possibly being taverin
0: no 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 not tom being taverin he was being pulled by taverin
1: oh sorry being pulled but pulled by the taverin yeah him showing up at the end there to throw the knife to off dana there at the very end whether he was tracking matt through the village again or he just happened to be pulled in that general direction during their time of need and him showing up and helping them get the hell out of dodge so to speak.
0: Also, this episode has the slickest scene change I think I've seen.
2: It is a good scene change. W- oh, with Ana's blood flowing.
0: When she's bleeding out of the neck into that puddle, it like leads out in a certain way and it scene change like the blood scene changes into the tree line for the next scene. And I was like, "Ooh, that is like chef's kiss, so good."
1: Not going to lie, when I was watching that, I was waiting to see like another dragon fang or something. So I was watching it like super close. (laughs) Me too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because I couldn't remember if that happened here or not because it's been a bit since I've seen the episode. I was like, does this happen here too to solidify what happened in the cold open? And it was, no, it was just a really cool change of scene.
1: (laughs) Yes. Absolutely.
0: Oh, you know what? One thing we didn't talk about that can be talked about real quick is the song that that Tom sings. In the end. Yes. Which was made specifically for the TV show that is specifically about Luz Theron looking for everybody while he's in his throes of madness. If you listen to those lyrics.
1: Yes. I'm not going to lie. The first time that I watched the TV show and I was so excited because as soon as they mentioned that there's a Gleeman I was like, yes, we know. We know exactly who this is. This is how they're going to introduce the great Tom. And he sits down. He picks up his guitar and he starts singing. He starts singing with that super gravelly voice. I was mad. I did not like the song.
0: He didn't start singing in high chant.
1: At that, I, I, I guess I was expecting that. <laughs> but I was paying way too much attention to the like the sound of his voice more so than the words. And so I paid a lot more attention to the words this time. So when the song is finished and Dana says, "So are we all going to cry or do we all want another round?" That comment made way more sense. Yeah. Did you guys like the song? It's
0: a good song.
2: It's okay. As with everything Tom related in the show, I'm still kind of on defense about it. Gotcha, gotcha. Quick question. Do we think that Dana is based on the character of the same name or a replacement for the character of the same name who shows up briefly in one of the later books? What is it? Book three, book four? One of them.
0: So she is basically an amalgamation of the innkeeper Hawk from, I forget the name of the inn in the Four Kings, and the dark friend Howell Goad. She's like a combination of those two. Knowing the showrunner, he probably took that name from someone later in the book and did that on purpose.
2: Because I believe the Dana later in the book is also an innkeeper.
0: I would totally believe it if that's the case.
2: Yeah. Was that a pretty minor scene? Um, Minor character, definitely. Definitely a very minor character. I don't want to do any spoilers, and I don't actually remember specifically what book she appears in, so I'm stuck with talking in very general terms. But there is a character named Dana, who I believe runs an inn. And does show up in scenes with Tom and Rand, not Matt.
0: According to the compendium here, there is no one with the name Dana. And they're usually pretty good about covering their bases.
2: Oh, it was Denna, D-E-N-A.
0: Dana. okay.
2: Okay. I was just wondering because I was thinking they were probably going to cut Denna from the show because she's such a minor character, it doesn't really make sense. Uh, I was wondering whether the similarity in name meant that they were combining her
0: Oh, I could see that, but yeah, she's in here. Two sentences. Yeah,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very minor character. (laughs) Really, really important character there. So I think a couple more things to mention about episode three.
0: We haven't even talked about any of the other party. We're just focused on Matt and Rand. We haven't talked about Egwene and Perrin. We haven't talked about the small scenes with Lan, Moraine, and Nynaeve. Exactly. So, I guess we could do it in chunks like that. It just makes more sense to kind of go through it than kind of hopping back and forth as the episode goes along.
1: Yeah. So, while all of this is going on with Rand and Matt, Perrin and Egwene are traversing this what would you call that? Plains? The steps?
0: They're in the Caroline Plains.
1: Yes. And it's cold, it's windy, and we see Egwene channel.
0: It's kind of ambiguous if she channels because they've gotten into the hole to get out of the wind and they're trying to start a fire and Perrin's going at it with the flint and you see her hold her hands down under the fire lights. And it's very ambiguous on if he did it or if she did it. So I guess you could say she did channel, but he also did start the fire.
1: I like to believe it was Egwene.
2: I didn't think that it was him at all. You don't think it was him? No. I mean, he's so clearly having no success. Like he's blooding his hands. He keeps going, oh shit, oh shit. I mean, not he doesn't say shit, but like he's clearly not having much success. And then Egwene does her thing and we see fire immediately. So I always interpreted that as Egwene making the fire and channeling. But I guess you're right that it could have been Perrin.
0: It's a little bit ambiguous, but I think we can err that probably Egwene did that because then Perrin says, do you think you could uh, channel some food and water?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs>
0: Absolutely.
1: So then they're there. Then they get chased out of where they are. Perrin has that awful dream about his wife where he's walking through their house and he goes to the forge where she was killed. And he sees the wolf and the wolf is eating her intestines. And then she looks up at him and she's dead. So she's got all these glassed over eyes and she looks up at him and says i know
0: i didn't catch that the first time i watched that i caught it when i turned subtitles on because it's audibly slurred enough that if you're not looking for it you miss it because i definitely missed it on several watches
2: yeah i don't think that i've watched with subtitles on so i don't think that i've ever noticed that she says i know before
0: i read her
1: lips the first time Mm. and then i turned subtitles on to like verify it like did she actually say something
0: so the thing is, is is that her saying that to Perrin? Is that Ishmael saying something to Perrin? Like, I know it's you kind of thing. Because remember in the book, the Dark One is trying to trick them into revealing who they are because, you know, in the books, it's just the boys and they don't know which one of the boys it is. So he's doing stuff in the dreams to get them to identify who they are so he knows who is who. Because in one of the dreams, they have the little figures there. I forget who it is, Matt or Rand. They pick up the little figure The Dark One goes, ah, so that's who you are. Mm -hmm. So I saw it as that kind of situation with the dream.
2: I think that would make a lot of sense because I was wondering why we see wolves chewing on her intestines. And if that's actually like the Dark One inhabiting her body, somehow doing some kind of Dark One bad juju, it would make a lot more sense that there would be a wolf there trying to stop it.
1: It didn't even occur to me that that wasn't... A dark one dream because of the lack of glowing eyes.
0: He's in the dream. You see him at the very beginning looking through the window as parents walking out of the bedroom towards the forge. You do? Like, split second. He's there and he's gone.
1: And he's there at the end of the dream, isn't he? Damn it. Now I'm going to have to go watch, rewatch the episode.
0: <laughs> I forget in this one if he, I swear at the end of all of them, he kind of like appears at the front of the screen or whatever and he screams or, or something like that. I forget if he did that one here, or if it was he was just a little hidey, hiding away. In this dream.
2: I'm pretty sure that we do see him do that in this one as well, which is why it was pretty obvious to me that it was a dark one dream. But I didn't specifically know what was Layla's role in it.
1: Gotcha. I completely missed that. I have to go back and rewatch it.
0: Yeah, but the point of this dream was more or less linking parent to the wolves because the wolf was trying to save him from the dream.
1: Yeah. So that's a really good point. So to jerk him out of that dream, Egwene is the one waking him up because the wolves are getting closer and the wolves start to chase them through the woods. They're freaking out. They don't know anything about the wolves yet.
0: We learn very quickly once, I think a few scenes from other characters pass through, but Egwene makes the comment of, I think they're leading us this way and they've been corralling them basically. Yes.
1: And for anybody who hasn't read the books, there's no knowledge of whether this is true or not so I don't know if this is a spoiler because I can't remember. Do you guys remember what book we learned that Perrin might be a wolf brother?
0: It's book one.
1: Is it book one?
0: Because the, remember the beginning of book two, he's already like gotten some of his wolf powers, like his scent and he can see and stuff like that. Because he meets Elias in book one because he meets them after the Tinkers.
1: Oh, that's right. Okay. Okay. That's right. Okay. So yeah.
0: This kind of replaces that in a way because instead of meeting Elias and him getting them back to the rest of the party the wolves corral them to the tinkers instead and then the tinkers take them to the white tower that's right that's right so we get a little bit of change of pace in terms of what happens in the story so that's why everybody was like where's Elias in season one
1: and the wolves just replace him so once the wolves kind of corral them and lead them to the tracks that eventually get them to the tinkers what did you guys think of the tinkers
0: Oh, they did a pretty spot on job, I think.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I agree. Especially with the way that Isla first comes into the scene with, do you
0: know the song? It's fun as while they're standing there for a second, we get to see Perrin's wolf abilities kick in because he senses them behind him.
1: Ooh, they do a lot of foreshadowing then. Way more than I think I anticipated
0: You got to do a little bit more with Perrin because a lot of his, and I've talked about this, I swear, a lot. You can't do what his character does in the books and the show, so they have to do things in different ways. And I think how they've been handling this is a pretty good way of doing that. Exposition doesn't work well when you can't see inside somebody's head. Yep. Agreed.
2: So much of Perrin is internal in the books, and yeah, that really does not work in a TV format.
0: No. So uh, back to what you were saying, though.
1: So whenever they introduce, do you know the song? And then Aram comes in and kind of gives the proper response back. I was really, really glad that they kept that introduction to the On lore. Because I think that opens so many wonderful doors for future seasons. To add in things that occur later on in the book to tie everything back together. It feels like an origin story. Even though it's not the origin story, if that makes sense. And I love origin stories. So <laughs> I'm obsessed with those.
0: <laughs> the Tinkers work very well in this episode, specifically for Perrin, because they. They basically are helping him process everything that's happened to him up to this point.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think they get more into that into episode four. So before we go to episode four, though, there is the other set of characters, the crew, if you will, that really don't have a whole lot going on in this episode. And that's Lan, Moraine and Nynaeve. So Nynaeve had that, you know, kick ass, cold open but then nothing really happens until Lan leaves for a little bit, and then he comes back.
0: Well, first, you know, Nynaeve tries to kill him
1: when he
2: didn't think that she would. <laughs> which I
1: love. <laughs> yes, that sets up the tension between them so well.
0: Yes, exactly. That's what I was going <laughs> to say. Yeah, this sets up just that. She begrudgingly helps because she's kind of forced to because she's trying to find everybody else.
2: I also kind of feel like she would have helped regardless. I think so because she's a wisdom. I mean. You know, it would have been very begrudging. She wouldn't have wanted to help. She doesn't want to help because Maureen is an Aes and she really is not a big fan. No.
0: And let's not forget, Nynaeve's just stubborn. Yeah,
2: <laughs> Nynaeve is very stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I feel like even if she wasn't being blackmailed into helping, essentially, I feel like she would have helped regardless.
0: I agree with that. She would have. It's just
1: kind of in her nature.
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: So Lan leaves any... <laughs> leaves Nynaeve to protect Moraine. (laughs) It's very trusting of him to do so. But then he comes back and gets everybody on horses and starts taking them to wherever it is he said he found what it is that they needed or that they were looking for. And then you see creepy-looking Leandrin come up and introduce, oh... We've already taken care of this problem or I printed exactly what she says. And then they say that they've captured somebody saying that they are the dragon reborn and they're taking them to the White Tower. And that's when the wagon comes up and you see Loghain in the cage. And I think as someone who has read the book and watching the show, like for the first time, even though this is discussing a rewatch here, the feeling of the camera panning into the cage and seeing that individual in the cage and knowing exactly who that is without them saying his name at all whatsoever. Like you immediately know exactly who that is. Is that who you guys had pictured Loghain either looking like or appearing like in the books?
0: Actually, it's probably about 80% there of what I imagined. I don't know why, but I always imagined because they always talked about Loghain being this very large, kind of muscular esque. Even though they don't say like he's super buff, but he was always a very large person. So I don't know why, but I defaulted to him just being like, oh yeah, super buff.
1: (laughs) The Chris Hemsworth of Chandler's, if you will.
0: Yeah, I guess you could say (laughs) something along those lines. But no, they did a pretty, I think they did a great job with casting Loghain, even though we only get to see him for five seconds in this episode. You can already tell that he is not a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely.
1: What about you, Fenya?
2: He is a force to be reckoned with, you mean, right? We come
0: to find later.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, i say yes and no. He's like I imagined. I think the Loghain in my imagination is a little sharper. I'm not sure if I have a better description than that.
0: Sharper is wittier?
2: No, just in terms of appearance. I don't like- Oh,
0: I get what you mean. Yeah, okay.
2: So the Loghain that we get, is a little soft, but I like him just in terms of visually. And I think that he mostly, like you were saying, that he about 80% matches up with how I was imagining Loghain.
1: I like who they cast for Loghain. I thought that actor did an amazing job and I'm reconciling what he looks like with who his character is. But in my mind, for some reason, I don't know why, but in my mind, Loghain was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed dude in the books for me and I think it's because of what happens after he is gentled which happens in episode four but that's a little bit of foreshadowing for anybody who hasn't read the books but I think that's why I had him as lighter complected with a hair and eyes yeah because the Loghain they have in the show I don't know it just doesn't jive with what I had in my brain
0: (laughs) for what it's worth I think he's done a fantastic job with the character so far yes absolutely well, that comes to the end of another episode of Tarvalon Talks. Thank you, very, and Finia, for joining me to talk about episode three specifically. If you have any questions or comments about the episode or have any other thing you'd like to input, you can visit us on the forums and post in the thread that we have there in general, or you may email us at producer.tvt at gmail.com. That's it for this episode. So until next time.